0: This is Jan Swift. Thank you for listening to this special rebroadcast of an interview I did back in March of 2020 with Rev. John Cannon of Asbury United Methodist Church. Rev. Cannon is a great preacher, and each week he reminds us that we each have unique talents— but yet made in the image of God. He inspires all of us at Asbury, and I hope this interview inspires you also. Thank you for listening. We taped Discover Lafayette with the support of Raider, a managed IT service provider that offers world-class service, including cybersecurity, communications, and technology support. With Raider, you have just one vendor and one number to call, allowing you to concentrate on what is most important— your business. For more information, visit Raidersolutions.com. Reverend John Cannon, senior pastor of Asbury United Methodist Church, is our guest today. A native of Shreveport, John graduated from the University of Arkansas and LSU Law School. While working as an assistant district attorney in East Baton Rouge Parish, he began to discern a call to pastoral ministry that he had first experienced as a youth in the Episcopal Church. Following that call, John attended the St. Paul School of Theology in Kansas City, Missouri. Before joining Asbury as senior pastor, John served as the district superintendent for the 74 churches of the Acadiana District of the United Methodist Church. And I can attest that we are darn lucky to have John Cannon as our pastor. John Cannon, welcome to Discover Lafayette. Thank you. What a pleasure. I've just enjoyed getting to know you the past few years. We had met when you were district superintendent, mm-hmm. but having you as our lead pastor of the senior pastor has been such a joy. And I'd love for our community to know more about you. So if you can, you know, tell us about your life, and I kind of gave the intro, but yeah. what led you here?
1: Well, what led me here? Um, you had asked uh, earlier you did uh, about this kind of call to ministry. What mm-hmm. especially um, people find it sometimes interesting that I was a lawyer first and then became a pastor, and uh, and you know I think that was a that was a, a it was a it was a part of a journey that began a long time as you as you mentioned at the beginning. Even early on in my life as a teenager, I had some kind of call to ministry. I at least had this. At least had this um, this pull to be a part of something bigger than myself, mm-hmm. and uh, experienced that as a young person in the Episcopal Church. Uh, but then um, uh, met a um, uh, the assistant priest at the church where I grew up had some really wise advice for me as a young person. When I was talking about perhaps being called to ministry. He said, um, "He said I think you probably may be called to ministry, but you know um, I'd really recommend you do something that I didn't do." And he said, "I went straight from." from college to seminary and right into the church as an ordained person. And uh, and I think it would have really helped me to live life a little bit and to have some practical experience. And so I really took that advice and began to, um, to pursue other things. And he, still with that call to ministry, sort of somewhere in the back of my mind or in my mm-hmm. heart, um, went to college, majored in English, because I love writing, right. I love reading, um, I love literature and, uh, and met Erin, uh, mm-hmm. who's my wife now. And, uh, she was Methodist. And, oh, okay. uh, so that's how I married into the Methodist church. Yeah. She's, from she's from Shreveport. She's from Shreveport as well. We met uh-huh. yeah. through mutual friends uh-huh. after we'd each begun college. Uh, but, um, but then, uh, uh as a young married person, uh, going to law school to have a career in Mm -hmm. something that I thought was interesting, going into criminal law at the DA's office, uh, were all things that were enjoyable and fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the more active we became in the Methodist Church in Baton Rouge, where we were members, First Methodist downtown.
0: Oh, it's beautiful.
1: Oh, absolutely, and beautiful people Mm -hmm. and beautiful active ministries, uh, things going on that were really making a difference. The more active I became in in that community of faith, the more those old feelings started to come back. And I found myself really uh, eager to spend more and more time uh, helping people Mm -hmm. through the ministries of that church and and really began to to come back to that place where I'd been earlier in my life, Mm -hmm. where I thought this is something I need to give my life to. You were in your 30s. So, yeah, not even 30s yet. I was in my 20s. Oh my right. So it really was just a few so years. So, in my 20s, uh-huh. um, we, I went to seminary uh, when I was 29. So,
0: who was the DA when you were working? Was it Doug Morrow? Doug Morrow, yeah. Oh, what a great boss, I worked boss, for Doug huh? Morrow, yeah. yeah. Oh,
1: absolutely. He was Love wonderful him. to work for. A mm-hmm. uh, wonderful character, uh, person. Of, mm-hmm. I found to be a person of great integrity, and I enjoyed working with him. Mm-hmm. As I was, a, I was practicing appellate law, and so uh, I was um, doing a lot of appeals cases uh, after conviction, but in mm-hmm. even some of those emergency appeals in the middle of the trial. So, got to work with uh, mm-hmm. with Doug or Judge Morrow, as we Judge call him. Judge Morrow, the, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and so uh, there's a wonderful, uh, wonderful person to work for and mm-hmm. gave me some great opportunities as a young lawyer.
0: So what was that meeting like, if I may ask? You went to him and, you know, just said, I've made oh, a life decision.
1: Oh, yeah. I remember that uh, very well. Um, I, uh, you know, any time... Uh, a young lawyer uh, found him or herself in uh, Judge Morrow's office was always kind of a little bit of a nerve wracking. He was a big figure, and I remember being very nervous about telling him that I mm-hmm. that I was about to go do something else and. Uh, he was uh, very understanding, and I think he was sad to see me go. Uh, and it was, uh, it was, it was a. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember being very nervous about that. I loved what I did too, so I was nervous from that standpoint yeah, too of up. leaving something. You weren't giving something.
0: it up. You could always go back.
1: Well, know? I felt like that, but um, but also after a few years in ministry, I knew I wasn't going back, and so I mm-hmm. did come to a point where I said, you know, this is really my life now, mm-hmm. and this is something that that I've given my my whole self to, and right. never never went back after. Never never thought about going back. What was your first? Church. Oh, in seminary, I went to a seminary in in Kansas City, Missouri. But uh, as a as a seminarian uh, in the United Methodist Church, you can be appointed. Uh, we have bishops who appoint mm-hmm. us to our to the assigned churches. Uh, I could be appointed as a student pastor. Ah. So I was appointed to a little uh, a little church in Kansas, in mm-hmm. Junction City, Kansas. It was about two hours away from Kansas City where the seminary was. And they had a little house that Aaron and I could live in. Mm-hmm. And it was a little church called Church of Our Savior in Junction City, Kansas. I love Kansas. It was yeah. a wonderful place and it was a great experience. It was mm-hmm. a multi-ethnic church, primarily African-American. So not only was I new in this, this career, Mm -hmm. in this new path for my life, but I was having new cultural experiences that were very enriching, and it was a great experience. We lived in Junction City, Mm -hmm. and I drove the two hours um, uh, twice a week, to Kansas City. And that's where our first child was born. Mm-hmm. And it was a great three years of my life at that that little church in Junction City, Kansas, about 50 members, about yeah. 50 members in attendance on a Sunday. Boy,
0: what is it like for a church of that size to support itself? It's tough. Huh?
1: It is. And one of the things that was a real benefit to them was that uh, as a student pastor, mm-hmm. I was part-time. They didn't have to pay a full pastor's salary. And mm-hmm. uh, and they had provided a house. They had a nice little house a few blocks from the church. That's a nice and, perk. Oh, it was a wonderful thing to have. Mm-hmm. It was a very simple and very modest um, mm-hmm. m- modest house. Um, mostly retired military people in that congregation, uh, being right next mm-hmm. to um, Fort Riley in mm-hmm. Kansas. So it was a it was a fantastic experience, a great learning experience, right. and a good transition for me mm-hmm. too as well.
0: You know. Um, I grew up Catholic, and my husband convinced me, you know, going to one faith was really mm-hmm. better when you have children. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of trying to cover all your bases, it just—it's tough. So we were members of Northwood United mm-hmm. Methodist Church here right when we, after we had our first child, and it's much smaller mm-hmm. than Asbury. And I remember, you know, as much as the church would struggle at times for financial means. People gave. They it was a different level of involvement. I don't know if you saw that. I'm not trying to say one is better than the right. other. But a big church, you've got a lot of people and mm-hmm. different financial resources and a lot of committees and stuff. But a small church, you kind of know if people aren't going to
1: church. Absolutely. Where
0: are you? You know. And it was like family.
1: It is, and I think um, I think small churches. They do uh, every person. Is absolutely important to, mm-hmm. to the ministry of a small church, and I think that's um, that's a great gift of being a part of a small church. And I find that uh, now that I'm a senior pastor of a much larger congregation, that you still have to you still have to hold on to that that smaller church feel uh, you, uh, for people mm-hmm. to feel connected. Mm-hmm. It really does need to feel like a smaller group of people. So we in, at Asbury, for instance, we have a lot of smaller groups and smaller communities to belong to, to mm-hmm. make sure that people uh, feel as important as they are. Because even in a large church, every person is still important. Right. And everybody's ministry and everybody's uh, ability to give of their own uh, gifts uh, to serve in whatever way they feel God calling them to, mm-hmm. it's just as important in a, sm- in a small church and in a large church. Uh, it's I think it can be easier in a small church. And I think large congregations really have to work to create that Feeling uh, and of the reality that everybody's important.
0: Right. Do you know what our count is at Asbury?
1: So we have about um, about 550 on a Sunday in worship. Mm-hmm. Um, that's over four worship services on a Sunday morning. And then once a Sunday, we have five worship services on a Sunday. We have a new evening service in the Youngsville area. Uh, so it's about 550 in worship on a Sunday. Uh, so that means not, not everybody, unfortunately, not everybody is in church at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right. we have, um, I would say, um, we have uh, over a thousand uh, in any one month that... That mm-hmm. are that are a part active. of the Asbury community and active right. in the different worship experiences.
0: Where is the service in Youngsville? Would you touch on? Yeah, that? Yeah,
1: it's at um, uh, the Ascension High School uh, okay. building mm-hmm. in uh, in Youngsville by the on roundabout a, kind of right. Uh, yeah, right by the roundabout. One on of the Shemin roundabouts. Metairie, right? I should on should There's many uh, There's the Rouses yeah. out there, mm-hmm. McDonald's, uh, CC's, yeah. and it's uh, five thirty on the second Sunday of the month, mostly the second Sundays of the month. Oh, so and not it, every week. Not it's every week, it's okay. once a month. And it's a and it's a real different kind of concept. It's a dinner church model. Oh. So everybody gathers for a meal and church is held around uh, round tables mm-hmm. as people enjoy a meal together. Uh, hear some really good laid back acoustic music. It's not a big That sounds kind nice. Of, it's not a big, you know, there's mm-hmm. not a big choir. It's not even a big uh, rock band kind of thing mm-hmm. like uh, some of our other worship experiences at Asbury are. Uh, it's a uh, singer songwriter type music. Yeah. It's really low key, really relaxed. as one of the people who's been coming to that says, it's really chill. Uh-huh. And so it's a good, nice experience. Um, instead of a traditional sermon from a pulpit, mm-hmm. uh, it's more of a conversation and includes some uh, some sharing around tables. Yeah. So it's a, it's a neat little family experience as well. And we've had a lot of people, and that's a brand new thing. We've only right. been doing that for a few months. And the pastor that leads that is? Uh, Allison Sykes, uh, mm-hmm. who is uh, one of our associate pastors at Asbury, mm-hmm. leads that and does a fantastic job. Yeah, she's good. Yeah, everybody loves her. Casual? very casual Good. come as you are mm-hmm. so uh shorts and t-shirt uh blue jeans what, whatever just come and be a mm-hmm. part of it it's a real relaxed atmosphere
0: you know i never i probably shouldn't mention this but i will about three weeks ago this fellow wandered into church when we were leaving about 9 30 mm-hmm. and he was not dressed like he mm-hmm. was he may have been homeless i don't yeah. know but he walked in and looked embarrassed and he said may i come in i was certainly yeah you know but he I think it was a little intimidating sometimes because of the formal church structure. But I was so glad that he did oh, find his way in. you know, yeah. I think that's one of the things that's good about our church and probably just about any church is that it's it's not any one person's home. it's God's home
1: it is. and know? I think um and I think that's I think somewhat that's the feel of Lafayette and probably <laughs> most churches in Lafayette. I mean Lafayette is a a little more casually dressed community. Yeah. We're a little more relaxed than. Mm-hmm. Most other communities I've lived in, yeah. so uh, I would think that just about any community of faith on a Sunday morning, uh, it you probably find you find a few who are still in their coat and tie. That's but, us, John. But, and yeah, yeah we, yeah. we dress. But, yeah. but more and more, uh, most people mm-hmm. are in their blue jeans and uh, and you know, in a very relaxed mm-hmm. kind of thing. And so I think it's true for Asbury. I'm sure it is for other churches too, where. Uh, people can just come in and, and feel they're going to find someone dressed mm-hmm. similar to them, and and uh, and by the time the worship service uh, starts, no one really cares what. everybody right. That that's kind of gone out of everybody's mind anyway. John and
0: I have a standing date after mm-hmm. eight thirty church. I don't know if you know this, but we go to Costco. Oh. We see Jason there. Oh, good. Joseph, yes, we get there before they open. You know. Yeah. We're all dressed up, and he goes, "How do they they all know who we are?" He goes, yeah. "How do they remember us?" I'm like, "I think we might be the only people." <laughs> That show well, so, up
1: dressed up, you know. So we, we form community wherever we go, right? <laughs> yeah. Even if it's at Costco at the same at the same time, it's the same people. Yeah. and I'll, I s- I'll
0: see Jason, you know, and
1: the,
2: the people on the, the greeters on the way out. Oh the, yeah, they, 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 yeah, they, know us.
1: They know right. us. Yeah, you yeah. Know?
0: it's not because we're, you know.
1: It's the, it, I mean, it, it's, you know what, to be really deep about it and, and very serious, it, it is the human need for community. Yeah. And anytime we become regular where we are and see the same people, we we form bonds. I think it's a part of who we are as sort of uh, social beings. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Well, I want to get in a few things that I've enjoyed in getting to know you. And one of the surprises I had was that I think we're mutual fans of Richard Roar. Yes. R O H R, Richard Roar. And we were at a conference we were. at Tulane, and John and I had gone a couple of mm-hmm. years ago, and you were there with your family and extended family. And I hear some of his deeper collective thoughts in some of your sermons. Mm -hmm. Would you touch on that? Uh, Maybe describe his writings and his thoughts. Um,
1: So, I wish I could say I'm a great expert on Richard Rohr. I'm not, but his writings and the the writings of other writers that um, that have made an impact on me, I find more and more kind of coming to the fore in my own thinking and in my own thought. And I think, one of the things I appreciate about Richard Rohr is this um, this sense of um, this sense of God's presence um, being really all around us and, mm-hmm. and being able to um, to really access that presence in a real loving and grace filled way. And I think in a lot of ways, uh, Richard Rohr echoes what I think is um, for me. Most salient and most um, most powerful about the the Methodist view of faith and living, and that is that ultimately God is a God of grace and love, mm-hmm. and that uh, beginning at that point, that letting that place become the beginning point of of any thinking about God, uh, really sets the tone for uh, for how we can even live our lives. One of the things that um, that Richard Rohr specifically talks about is his idea of the Trinity, being a community and a communion of persons mm-hmm. uh, that, um, that we're asked to reflect in our own loving relationships. And, uh, and, and that being absolutely essential to the nature of who God is. Um, you know, uh, being a, a Christian, my understanding of who God is, is is centered on who Jesus is and what Jesus revealed about God's nature. And I think that one of the things that uh, that Richard Rohr and his writings ask us to do is to really make sure that anytime we're reflecting on God, that we're thinking about who God is as revealed in the love of Jesus Christ, as revealed in the love that we know uh, in Father, Son, and Spirit. This mm-hmm. thing that we call the Holy Trinity. And, and if that's our beginning point of who God is, then that's the then all of our thinking about God about what God's will is, it all flows from that grace and that Mm -hmm. love, that just free and open spirit of God's love that pours out into our hearts. And ultimately, that we're to reflect in our own lives. Mm -hmm. Uh, The more we become like Christ in our own spiritual journeys, which is I think the aim of the spiritual journey anyway, uh, the more we become like God in love. And that's, um, mm-hmm. in Methodist uh, terminology, that's what it means to be perfected in love, to become like God yeah. in God's love. And um, and I, I, there's a lot people say about religion these days, a lot that turns people off about religion. There's a lot that turns me off about what mm-hmm. people say about religion. Um, I'm a simple person. And so for me, it comes down simply to who I know God is in Christ. And that is someone who is full of loving kindness and compassion and grace toward others. And uh, that is a lot of what Richard Rohr talks about and other writers like him that have made a big impact on my right. own thinking.
0: Right. I used to find it confusing when you think about the Trinity, mm-hmm. because how can they be one right. and three? But in his writings, he drills down deeper. And what really changed my way of looking at things is that through his writings it opened my heart, we're all one. Yeah. He talks about that. It's not us versus them. And some of his terminology, it's not what people hear all right. the time. But you realize that it's not about winning because that means somebody loses. Yeah. It's it's not about being the best or, or being last or first. It's just about being. Absolutely. And seeing that each of us has God. God created each of us. Mm-hmm. But his writings are so... Interesting. Because he'll he'll talk about science, talk about different things in life that we experience. And that's what you bring in Mm -hmm. to your sermons. You know, you bring in yeah, things that get us to think, you know, am I just going to church and hearing about this once a week, or maybe just reading if I'm not in church, or am I living? Mm -hmm. Am I living? The life that I was created for, right, and it kind of makes things more fun.
1: <laughs> well, thanks. And to me, my my aim in ministry is to help people grow, live, and share the love of Christ, and that's a, a pretty simple thing to me. Not simple to do because I think it takes a lot of a lot of practice and a lot of um, a lot of uh, prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of uh, how, you know, learning how to relate to people in a way that isn't about winning or losing or mm-hmm. about being better than, or, uh, you know, my God is bigger than your God. Right. Sort of, but my rules really, are the right rules. That's yeah. right. My rules are the right rules. That it's really, you know, ultimately Jesus um, wasn't about mm-hmm. the rules. He was about one particular commandment, and that was love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. And... I would, there's a lot of grace in how we get there, and a lot of forgiveness in getting things wrong. But ultimately, it's really just about how we love. Yeah. So you think
0: Jesus might have been an independent?
1: I would hope so. Yeah, <laughs> more more so than even I am. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, John, I'd like to take a break, if we may. Um, I want to introduce a new short segment that I'm adding to our podcast, and it's going to be called "Discover Lafayette's Past." Over the past two and a half years of doing the podcast. Um, And you can find them all online at discoverlafayette.net. I've really been able to piece together some interesting tidbits about Lafayette's history that I'd like to share. So I hope people enjoy this new edition. So I'd like to thank new premier sponsor, Rally Marketing, for sponsoring this Discover Lafayette past moment. Rally Marketing is a full-service digital marketing agency, and they can help you with marketing automation, content development, search engine optimization, strategy, or even just show you how to use social media to turn a money maker for your business out of the social media. So they're there to help you navigate the maze of all the latest ways to market online effectively. You can visit rallymarketing.com to learn more about them. And now the moment, and this is about our church, John. Did you know that Asbury United Methodist Church is located on Johnson Street next door to La Fonda's restaurant and has been in that location since December 11th, 1955? To establish if there was interest in a new church, Reverend Branton, and I think that might have been Ray.
1: It was Ray, Ray Brant's Ray father, actually. Ray Brant,
0: what was his name?
1: I don't remember the father's Uh-oh. name, but he was the district superintendent in the Lafayette We will get that Lafayette information, yeah.
0: yeah. They held a meeting at Morgan Hall's Appliance Store mm-hmm. on May 1st, 1955. At the invitation of Reverend Branton, 37 people responded, and the Asbury Methodist Church was formed. The land was purchased for $13,000 in 1955, which is a little bit over $125,000 in today's value. So the first pastor at Asbury was Reverend Howard Hudson, and they held services for six months at the concessions building of the Twin Drive-In Theater. The first service on June 5, 1955, had 65 adults and children in attendance. Very soon thereafter, the 75-member congregation at that point decided to build a church with $47,000 borrowed and $10,000 from the 1000 Club. Groundbreaking was held on August 14th And on December 11th of the same year, 1955, they held services in the new building. And I don't think the congregation's ever looked back. So I wanted to share this moment of Discover Lafayette's past. So let's get back into you. I wanna hear some more about what's going on in the Methodist Church. Some people that listen to this podcast probably keep up with Mm -hmm. national and international news about the latest developments with the United Methodist Church. And I think this may there's going to be a vote on whether churches want to be traditional mm-hmm. or open for inclusion. And yeah. I'm, I'm not describing this right. No, Would that's
1: you? okay. Uh, so the United Methodist Church is a is a global denomination, um, not just limited to the United States, but uh, to it really sprawls the whole whole world. And um, one of the things that uh, that's been uh, an issue that uh, churches, uh, not just United Methodist churches, uh, right. but all over the world have been grappling with, is about uh, in how to include LGBTQ plus folks. And, uh, and so, um, like many churches, the United Methodist churches wrestled with that. Um, and like many churches, there have been great differences of opinion mm-hmm. on that. And so, in May, uh, the United Methodist Church meets for its, um, every four years, we meet as a global denomination uh, representatives from each of the areas of the United Mm -hmm. Methodist Church to vote on different matters. And one of the votes is on whether we'll allow for um, a significant number of people who wish to, to break off from the United Methodist Church denomination and form their own denomination. uh, Because over... Uh, the years um, the the church in the United States has um, become more and more open to mm-hmm. full inclusion of LGBTQ folks and allow marriages. allow uh, yeah um, for allow uh, clergy to perform same gender marriages mm-hmm. and uh, and so that's uh, caused a, a great deal of um, mm-hmm. of anxiety among a lot of folks who for whom that's uh, not a good choice. Uh, so there have been a uh, there have been a number of people who said you know we, we would rather have our own more traditional denomination mm-hmm. uh, and kind of break away from the United Methodist Church itself and so that's what that vote in May is all about on whether mm-hmm. we'll uh, as a denomination will allow for that right now. Uh, a a united methodist church just can't stop being a united methodist church it's part of our denominational agreement and you have to follow the rules you have to follow the rules and you have to um you have to stay united methodist but Mm -hmm. uh, but we're gonna uh, vote on whether to allow uh, churches to break away and to uh, form perhaps a new denomination Mm -hmm. that is more traditionalist in its nature and perhaps um, will retain some of those older um, rules that um, prohibit any kind of same-gender marriages.
0: So even within like our community, let's say the uh, Acadiana District, could d- various churches do their own thing? Could they yeah, vote they, to
1: become traditional? They can't. Uh, it's, a, it's a kind of a complicated um, process. Um, what would probably happen uh, is that um, uh, this is, there are several proposals that are before the, um, this meeting that will be held. At this, uh, this year will be held in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, but there are several proposals for how that can happen, and one of the one of the proposals is that uh, that churches um, who want to uh, want to break away and join the more traditionalist denomination would be able to do so. Mm-hmm. So if that passes, then some churches would be able to do that if they feel strongly about that. Yeah. Um, the United Methodist Church uh, that would remain would uh, hopefully still continue to be a church that really embraces a lot of different viewpoints. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the hallmarks of methodism uh, and especially in the united methodist denomination has been it's a big it's been a big tent it's been a um, it's been a wonderful uh, group of people who uh, maybe don't always believe the same things about every particular social issue and to some extent we've liked that we've liked it that we could be a church where very different people could worship together and seek to follow the love of Christ uh with one another, even uh sharing differences of opinion. Um, so um some folks maybe aren't as happy about that and would yeah. prefer to be in a denomination where um where some of those uh hot button social issues are sort of mm-hmm. decided for them or on one one particular way. Yeah. Uh, but the United Methodist Church uh will um it's at least it's my hope uh, that um, it'll continue to be a place that, that gathers people of a lot of different perspectives um, who can find uh, commonality in the grace and the love mm. of Jesus Christ rather than feeling like they have to split off yeah. and just be with people who think the same mm-hmm. way.
0: Change is tough, you know. And It is, um, it is. To me, when I look at the declining numbers over the years, not just attendance at church, mm. but civic engagement and different things, there's more and more of a disconnect. And yeah. having a church family you know for things way
1: beyond marriages and oh absolutely funerals
0: is is really a way to stay yeah. connected to feel a part of a bigger family oh, it than is. your own
1: and one of the things i think is a wonderful blessing about asbury uh, particularly is that asbury really does draw a lot of different mm-hmm. people who have you know from different backgrounds and different um and different places different parts of the city uh, different economic uh, abilities mm-hmm. uh and different uh, social places and also a lot of LGBTQ folks uh, love coming to Asbury and are part of the ministries, and find that it's an enriching place to be right. and to worship uh, God with one another, and and not to feel like you have to fight the same old battles that you would anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so it's been a wonderful place that's gathered people of great variety in one fellowship. And uh, that's a special thing. So Mm -hmm. I think in a way we model at Asbury, I hope anyway, uh, we model at Asbury what it means for people who may not necessarily see eye to eye on everything, uh, but who can be in one family together. Because really that's what we're trying to be. Even a large church like Asbury is to be a family together and know that uh, not everybody at the Thanksgiving table always sees eye to eye. Oh, no, they never but do. At, <laughs> but at the end of the day, we're, uh-huh. we're going to love one another. And we're going to support one another. And we're going to have each other's mm-hmm. backs. And, and the same goes for our LGBTQ uh, right. uh, members and their families right. who are, find Asbury to be a place to be at home.
0: Well, speaking of families, um, we joined the church back in 2002. We switched because we had moved to town. You know, mm-hmm. this was we were country people and we moved to town. But the youth group was such an appealing, like the, the children's ministries. Mm-hmm. And then the youth group were such an important aspect of what we wanted for our own two daughters. I know you've got four children. Yes. And they are very involved in the choir and everything. But you want to touch maybe on our... Um, our youth group, maybe in particular, I know they have oh, a big absolutely. trip coming up to Atlanta this summer. Yes. Yeah, and...
1: So um, the youth and the children's ministries continue. They have been for years, been the just the premier ministries at mm-hmm. Asbury that have gathered uh, gathered people and help people belong and help people get connected to the love of Christ in some really special ways. And the youth group does that as well. Uh, the youth group is a very diverse group of people and diverse group of kids who. Um, who simply come together, one, to have a great time, Mm -hmm. and they do, but two, to really put their faith into action. And so one of the things they do every year that you just mentioned is every year they go and do a, a big mission trip. And that mission trip usually consists, as it does this year, of serving, particularly serving the poor in some place mm-hmm. of special need. So this year they're going to Atlanta to serve in inner city Atlanta in, uh, in ministries and with mm-hmm. uh, nonprofit organizations all over the city, uh, simply to help people in need. Mm-hmm. So, uh, not only is it, uh, is it a great group of about 80 people who are going to go on this trip mm-hmm. and just serve in Atlanta, but it's also hopefully teaching these kids uh, what it means to live a life of service and love for people mm-hmm. and to really put their faith into action. It's always a special thing. And the kids come back with great stories, mm-hmm. having really grown in their faith a lot.
0: I know, you know, I'm not going to name names, but some kids have probably been told you have to do this, you know. Maybe. <laughs> about, yeah. You know, maybe some we know. <laughs> And they've ended up going on the mission trip and just the bonding. They do, And the lifelong, my older daughter, and and Kelly too, my youngest, but I remember Taylor, you know, she bonded so closely with her youth group when she started, Yeah, I think it was starting in ninth grade when they took the the first trip she'd gone on. And they're still best friends. Mm -hmm. You Mm -hmm. know, Cassie that we had on the podcast Mm -hmm. that's now in, you know, she's out in New York. Cassie Doyle, you probably know the Doyles. Mm -hmm. Big time now um, screenwriter, but they they became best friends through the youth group. And there's so many wonderful ties that we have
1: oh, to our friends from
0: church. So well, and not, not only that do that they
1: end. bond, but you know, this, that's an experience that people carry into the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, those kind of experiences of, of fellowship and bonding and community and mm-hmm. the fellowship um, experience in an atmosphere of serving people. Mm-hmm. It really creates lasting memories yeah. that really, that really uh, are formative for mm-hmm. a lifetime.
0: Well, speaking of lasting memories, I want to segue into this. Um, I had to, you had to jar my memory. I've told you that I wanted you to speak about some of the anecdotes that you will start off your sermons with. And for people that don't know John Cannon, each sermon, I I have to tell you, I just enjoy each one. They stand on their own. But one week in particular, you were talking about Kevin Baugh or Uh Baugh that has his own micronation. The Republic of Malaysia, right. Malaysia, <laughs> and he actually lives in Nevada, but mm-hmm. he has his own militia, yeah. his own space space,
2: space sp- program, space he program. The yeah. po- he's
0: got his own postal service, <laughs> and he's self sufficient, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And he's uh, is he dictator or
1: um, yeah, no a benevolent dictator?
0: Benevolent think, dictator, yeah. yeah. But would you kind of, where, where do you get your ideas for your stories? And for people that don't know about this, you can Google yeah. Micronations or M-O-L-A-S-S-I-A.
1: What's a great story. Uh, I, first of all, I think um, I, I, I've found that, the, that I enjoy telling stories. And I think I found that people enjoy hearing sermons mm-hmm. that are uh, essentially a story. And so I try to always begin, or at least somewhere in the in the mm-hmm. sermon, is some story. Um,
0: what was his currency that he used? though? was it? I don't remember. Cookie he dough.
1: Da- yeah, cookie dough. Cookie for, dough. Uh, cookie yeah, dough, uh, uh, yeah, dough that uh-huh. he kept in the bank of Mo- <laughs> yeah. molasses or a yeah. Molo- uh, yeah, which was a freezer. <laughs> and we all uh, we all like that kind of. Currency. I think that's great. I, mm-hmm. would, maybe that's the uh, solution the to some of our economic problems. Right? Yeah. yeah. Cookie dough. <laughs> I would. I think I would eat all mine though. Yeah. Um, I always try to tell a story, and I think people remember stories. I, I, I'm a collector of stories, uh, and I'm in the o- old school collector of stories. I have a manila folder, and oh, when you I do? when I find uh, when I come across a story, uh, I follow a few things on Twitter, where mm-hmm. you know news sites on Twitter, and and I'll find uh, little little those little odd stories that pop up every now and then, and and what I do is I I Sitting in the morning, coming ac- reading the news or coming across mm-hmm. stories, I email myself the story. I get to the office and I print it out and mm-hmm. I put it in a folder, and uh, and then as I'm thinking about a, a sermon, as I'm thinking about a particular scripture that I'm preaching on, um, I, I, I'll flip through that folder and see what you know, see what comes up. And the folder has stories that go back, you know, that I collected maybe a few years ago. Mm-hmm and uh and timeless
0: though timeless timeless, timeless.
1: and usually hopefully they're a little humorous because i think it helps to to touch on a little humor in a story, that kind of helps us relax and helps us uh, open up our heart to something. But ultimately uh, the stories are meant to, to, to sort of convey a lesson. Mm-hmm. And I hope, I hope it's a little like what Jesus did. Jesus rarely just came out and said, here's what I'm trying to teach you. He told mm-hmm. stories. And I think it was the case that sometimes people remembered the stories more than the teaching, but the, the stories kind of carry the teaching. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, for me, Telling a story is a way of saying, um, saying there's a message in here, um, and the message is uh, is something that is going to relate to this particular passage mm-hmm. of scripture, and hopefully it'll be a message that you remember as you go through your next week and through your life, something that really touches you. Right. And, uh, sometimes people will say to me, yeah, I remember this story you told. I'm not sure I remember exactly what you said about it. And I said, well, it's probably okay that you remember the story mm-hmm. and that you think about listening. it. Yeah. I hope so. And I think ultimately I'm not standing up there trying to tell people now believe this and here's the message mm-hmm. and, and take that home. I really hope I'm trying to help people think and help people really pray about um about what's going on in their life and in their spirit, mm-hmm. uh, where they might bring the the love of Christ to bear in some way, and ultimately, I think stories carry that message better than than some kind of didactic teaching right. can.
0: You're making that closing argument yeah. for God,
1: but yeah. Huh? The well, case I for think God. so. Yeah, I think so. And and you know, Stephen, to circle back to the lawyer thing, I think I've also realized now what I didn't realize as a young lawyer is that probably the best lawyers are storytellers. Oh yeah, and they certainly are in front of juries, and and even in the in the Uh, the law that I practice in appellate law. I mean, ultimately I was trying to tell a story to a panel of judges and uh, the best stories are the ones that, um, that make you think and Mm -hmm. that, um, that bring you to a new place. And so maybe the best arguments are, are really simply stories. I think Mm -hmm. that's what Jesus was trying to capture in the way he, in the way he taught.
0: Right. Well, we're in Lent right now. Um, This is March 3rd, 2020. And, um, if you can touch maybe on the importance of this mm-hmm. season you know going back to the wilderness as you talked about last yeah. week the the 40 days mm-hmm. the the need for quiet
1: absolutely so the Um, The the pattern for Lent and Methodists uh, recognize the season of Lent like a lot of uh, denominations do as a time of preparation uh, for the celebration of Easter, a time of deeper prayer, of drawing closer to God. And it's not that we have to do something during Lent that we're not doing the rest of the year but it lent sort of the teacher for what we should be doing the rest of the year. Uh, And that is taking some time to um, live a little more simply, which is I think what fasting most often is to learn to live a little more simply in reliance on God's uh, love and grace, Uh, but also to adopt new habits and new practices that draw us closer to God, new ways of prayer or renewed ways of prayer. So it's this 40 day time that sort of patterned after the 40 day experience of Jesus in the wilderness. And the wilderness in scripture is so often an image for um, uh, those times of learning deep lessons of drawing closer to God. Mm -hmm. Certainly Jesus did that in the temptation story. Uh, his time in the wilderness, the people of uh, the Hebrew people and they're wandering through the wilderness for 40 years uh, was a, it's a time of learning. Oh, so uh, so this is a time of learning for us. Mm-hmm. So the 40 days leading up to Easter, not including Sundays, which are always little Easter's. Uh, but uh, but are, are, it's a time for us to pay a little closer attention to our spirit, a little more intentional time to prayer and to fasting uh, and really not not. I wouldn't even say not out of obligation, Uh, but out of a great desire to Mm -hmm. live a little more simply and a little more closely to God. And hopefully it's a joyful time more Mm -hmm. than anything and not a dour and depressing time, but a joyful time.
0: I remember one time with the youth group, again, um, there was a challenge to fast. Mm -hmm. And so they were allowing the kids to have juice and crackers or something, but John and I just fasted. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't for that long. It was two days. Like it wasn't maybe like a day and a half or two days. And I remember at the end of it, because I'd never really seriously fasted, when it was time to eat, my appreciation of everything I had was so clear. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even necessarily want to take the first bite at at first, because I thought I I can have anything I want to eat, anytime. And so many people don't have that. And I think it's going back to these simple ways that Jesus reminded us of, Mm -hmm. you know, that that's it. It opens up your heart.
1: Well, I think, I think fasting is a way to, to grow mm-hmm. gratitude, and that's just what mm-hmm. you said. And And it's a gratitude that um, that I think fasting teaches us, but we don't have to fast to do that. So to right. to take right. the time to stop and be grateful for what we have in front of us, to be grateful for the bite of food that mm-hmm. maybe um, you've prepared for yourself or a loved one's prepared for you, or uh, to be—it uh, extends into all your life. How can you be grateful for just the next moment you have to live, a moment that— you have to do something wonderful for somebody in. Um, So I think that maybe ultimately Lent is about uh, living in gratitude, Uh, gratitude for the simple things. Mm. And that's really happiness, right? What we're always looking for.
0: I know, I Mm. know. Do you have a favorite season? of the year?
1: Um, Oh, uh, absolutely. Uh, Advent and Christmas are my absolute favorite. Really? Yes, the music. Oh God, Easter is my favorite. Is that right? Springtime. I
0: guess it's new life, springtime, Uh but I enjoy them all.
1: I'm a winter soul. So, you you know, know, dark weather and cold and gray, (laughs) uh, that's just right down my alley. The darkness. Yeah.
0: My favorite day of the year typically is March 1st because it's like, all right, it's mm-hmm. about to unfold, mm-hmm. you know, flowers, yeah. greenery, but every season is yeah. worth, worth Oh, they're all great.
1: They're all yeah. great.
0: And it's pretty warm here all the, all the time anyway. So. <laughs> 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 well, John, we're here with Jason Sikora of Raider. And Jason, thank you. Oh, thank you. For taping you. our show. And you have written some notes. I
2: do have some notes. Well, I have four questions, and they're all, they're all very similar. Um, so going back, first of all, thank you for being here. Thank this you. This is fascinating. Uh, you mentioned that you were given advice— to go do something else before mm-hmm. you got into the ministry. What advice would you give somebody else if they wanted to get in the ministry? Oh, um, I would. I would say the same thing,
1: um, if, especially for a young person. Do something for a little bit. Um, some life experience. Uh, get to know people. Uh, get to know the world. Um, live some. Live in some way that um, that helps you um, immerse yourself in a, a community of people. In a in a practice, I think ultimately um, in ministry, you're not you're not sitting in an ivory tower, uh, you know, waiting for people to come for spiritual advice. You're you're with people, and to relate to people is a is a real important thing. I'd also say be be uh, you know take your time. It's a uh, going into ministry at least Methodist ministry, you're never going to make a lot of money. <laughs> you're never going to, you know, you're always going to have just enough to get by. Um, it's a lot, it's a long hours and hard work. Um, it's sometimes um, emotionally incredibly draining. It can be ministry can be. You're with people in their wonderful celebrations and at weddings. You're also with people at the end of life and in some funerals that are, can be joyful at, Celebrations of life, but in some funerals, it can be really difficult you're in hospital rooms with people at their lowest moments um, you don't always see people at their best uh, so I think uh, going into ministry you really ought to you ought to stop and think it's not always a lot of fun um, but it's but but it's always fulfilling so
2: Okay. Yeah, be careful. Yeah. Certainly. Well, that's a great answer. Pray a lot. Pray a lot, too. Yeah. (laughs) Um, What's something that surprised you or something people wouldn't know about what you do? Oh, what surprises
1: people? Well, it's, it, it's amazing. That it surprises a lot of young people that I, um, that I work on uh, days other than Sunday mornings. So you don't I, just show up? I don't just show up like on Sunday mornings. You know? No, I work long hours uh, with a lot of people and do great work. And I think one of the things that, that I really um, love for people to know that they're not always aware of is, um, is how many people it takes to uh, to have such a wonderfully exciting and wonderfully busy church. I mean, it, it's not just uh, the clergy on staff, and there are a few clergy on staff at Asbury. It's not just the lay people on staff, and there we have a lot of people who work there full time. But it's all the all the volunteers, mm-hmm. all the members who who give their gifts. That really what's that's really what makes a church uh, an exciting place to mm-hmm. be. And that's all the people who are doing all the work. And ultimately. Yeah ultimately i think the idea is i need to put myself out of a job and and by that i mean not be the person doing the ministry what i hope to do is is empower and energize people to do the ministry to serve God with whatever gifts they have with whatever talents they have and and I think that's surprising to a lot of people maybe who aren't as um who aren't as connected to a church community is that really uh, a, having a wonderful church really absolutely depends mm-hmm. on the people who make up the church uh,
2: pitching in and doing their wonderful part by giving of who them yeah. of who they are Excellent. So, and you kind of answered my last two questions Mm -hmm. in in that. So I'm just going to combine them. Okay. Uh, What's a day in the life of Reverend John Cannon? And I asked that question because how many different hats do you actually wear? Oh, gosh. Uh, Yeah. So
1: a day in the life. Well, I get up pretty early. I exercise uh, almost every day. Oh, maybe not almost every day. I try to. I want to almost every day. I do exercise uh, and I uh, have four kids. That takes a lot of yeah. time and energy, and that's wonderful, and a wonderful, loving wife. And so we have a family life outside of what goes on at church. Uh, you know, uh, uh, being a senior pastor of a fairly large church, you do wear a lot of hats. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not just I would love to have always need more time to do everything. In some ways, you're the CEO of a small business, Uh, We have a day school, we have a children's ministry, we have a youth ministry, we have an older adult ministry. I'm fortunate to have wonderful people who are in charge of those things, but I have to pay attention to what's going on. The finances of a church are always super important to make sure that everything is going smoothly and yeah. people know that the money they're giving is every dime is being spent in a way that uh, that they can be proud of. And so, we're really uh, that's a real important part of the job is doing the financial. We have wonderful people who do the financial work, but I need to make sure it's going going well. Uh th- so I, I'd I'd love to j- spend all day working on a sermon, but I can't. Mm-hmm. Uh but there's that part too, and leading worship. I mean most people just see me leading worship mm-hmm. on a Sunday morning. Uh, but uh, yeah. there's a lot, there's a there's a lot that goes into it. There are not a lot of days off. Um so I have to be real intentional about taking that time off. And when I am, I'm trying to listen to good rock music mm-hmm. and um hang out with the kids and uh love watching uh St. Louis Cardinals baseball. Oh. So okay. that's kind of a family thing. Yeah. And I'd, uh, my wife and my daughter, Mary Claire, would be upset if I didn't also say Boston Red Sox baseball. Okay. They're big <laughs> okay. Boston Red Sox fans.
0: You know, I've always wondered on Sunday mornings, Jason, we have 8.30, then 9.45, and 11. And so typically some of them may run over. They do. And then yeah. John, you know, they they proceed, and then he greets people as we exit the sanctuary. Yeah. So everybody wants to shake his hand and... And know I'm the worst, getting a word about something. He's got to get back up. Just a quick turnaround, I'm like, how... In the world, do you do this? Do you not drink water in the morning? Like, I you know, know there is there is no break. What are the
1: logistics? <laughs> yeah. are? I usually have about five minutes between services I where I can gather myself and, uh-huh. and get things back together. And get yeah. it
0: back. Yeah, get back in the saddle. Huh? <laughs> that's right. That's but I right. mean, I always wonder how you have to be kind to yeah. us. Yes. Uh-huh, oh, I know. don't have
1: to. easy to be kind. <laughs> it's easy to be We're kind. We're all so interesting. I have a great, I have a, yeah. I have a in the <laughs> wonderful congregation that's easy to, be, easy to be kind with, that good, kind congregation. <laughs>
2: Excellent. Well, John, again, thank you for being here. Thanks. That was a lot of fun. And Jan, thank you again. Oh, yeah.
0: I mean, I knew you'd enjoy this, Jason. Yeah,
2: I I enjoy all of them, but it seems like everyone I enjoy for a different reason. (laughs) And uh, and this has been awesome. So thank you. Yeah,
0: it's wonderful to be able to shine the light on you. Senior pastor, John Cannon, and you've taught me a lot in the time you've been not only serving as our preacher, but... Also, when you were district superintendent, we didn't really get into that, but you had a big job overseeing all 74 churches Mm -hmm. in our district, which I guess had its own challenges. And uh, we're just so lucky that we were able to to have you Well, I feel
1: fortunate. I feel fortunate to be at Asbury.
0: Yeah. So I encourage people listening to this, if they're looking for a church home, Asbury is a great place to check out. And you can just go... We have a Facebook page and a website. Mm -hmm. You just Google Asbury UMC and it'll come up. So I want to take a moment too to thank Raider and Jason Sikora for producing Discover Lafayette. You can listen to this interview. All of our interviews are on discoverlafayette.net. We're also very, very um, grateful for the support of not only Iberia Bank, but also Lafayette General Health for keeping this podcast going with their generous sponsorships. Thank you all for listening. Please subscribe if you haven't. And I hope you hang around and listen to more of these interviews on Discover Lafayette. Thank you.